Welcome back to Riveting Broads. I'm your host, Jackie Richard. I'm Molly Merluzzi. And we're here to talk about the uncomfortable things that people don't often want to discuss, but aren't relevant to all of us. So, Molly, why don't you tell us why we started this? So we started this podcast with the idea that a lot of conversations in media and politics about women were about them instead of with them. And we feel like we can offer a platform where you can address vulnerability, identity, autonomy, religion, culture, and everything in between by understanding that it's okay to get a little bit uncomfortable and that those topics that perhaps you consider taboo or those things you're not supposed to talk about at parties are actually things everybody wants to talk about. And by talking about them, we can become better humans. Mm. And if this resonates with you, we ask that you like, you subscribe, send us your feedback, your comments. We want to hear it all. Yeah, great point. And we've gotten some really great commentary on the past episodes, things that resonated with folks. Um, and it's really made Jackie and I feel like we have a purpose. So thank you for that. Um, and we hope today's conversation will do the same. And we're excited to announce our, or today's guest. Christy Murfit is here. Um, I'm pleased to share that Christy has agreed to join us to talk about her illustrious career. No, um, <laughs> it is illustrious, but it also, um, Christy's a person that I've respect on a personal and professional level and I'm excited to dive into a plethora of topics but largely grounded in the idea of being uh the 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 implications of standard household roles um and Christy I'd love for folks to give for to better understand a background on you which is vice president at Improvada Mm -hmm. um but largely your career trajectory today sure so Hello, everybody, and thank you both for having me. I am thrilled that you created this platform for conversation and dialogue with women. Um, Clearly, I'm a woman, (laughs) and uh, I, like you said, I'm a businesswoman. And when I graduated from college, I realized that I actually needed to make money to pay for my education to date. I, um, my parents invested in private school and they invested and I invested as well. So I busted my butt to get A's and learn as much as I could. I went to Tufts University, got to travel abroad and live in Spain and all of that was amazing. And then real life hit when I graduated and said, oh, I have to make money to pay off the debt for this amazing education. And So I put my focus on that. And over the last uh, 20 years, which is kind of amazing, uh, (laughs) I I followed smart people and people I respected, and they called me. And um, today I am the vice president of customer experience and renewals at a software company in Lexington, Massachusetts called Improvada. Uh, Prior to that, uh, I really spent my entire career in marketing. Um, got my master's in marketing, and that's a whole story we can talk about, uh, (laughs) how I fit that into uh, work-life balance. Um, And throughout that whole time, I had two boys. My husband, um, I met the summer I graduated from college. And so we've built this life together and figuring out how to partner uh, to kind of optimize our strengths and navigate this 
crazy world of, you know, working and cooking and raising kids and living a fun, grounded uh, life. Mm. Sounds like you flipped the model on the nuclear family. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And we knew that from day one. Yeah. Uh, I always knew that I had the earning potential and uh, my husband is a musician. Typically, they don't have great earning potential. Right. Either uh, a lot or a little and almost nothing in between. Yeah. Correct. And yeah. if they have a lot of earning potential, there's no family life option. Right. right. Yeah. I would say that the thing that struck me when we first started talking about having you on was that you said it's non-negotiable for you to be home for dinner and bedtime for your kids. And having worked in a big tech company, yeah. the same one you did, um, and having hours that bled into late nights mm -hmm. and or, you know, early mornings, um, now having a child of my own, I guess I always thought I had an understanding um, of family life from friends and so forth. But I the most humbling part of being a mom was recognizing that you can't just like tap out. <laughs> like you can't when you're exhausted or overwhelmed or hungover. You can't you can't tap out. And I think that that was really impressive to me because I do the same. Um, I have a, a, a fortunate situation where I work from home. Um, sometimes not fortunate, sometimes fortunate, but grateful for that flexibility. But being home from four to seven, I don't go to networking events. I don't go to things after work a lot, you know, unless it's something like a friend of mine, perhaps who runs an amazing organization, like mm -hmm. the Next Gen Network, Jackie, um, I, would, I would make an exception, but that's more of an exception to the rule. And I loved that that was non-negotiable for you, Especially especially at the level you're at in your career. I think I'm unusual, mm -hmm. and I, I talk to folks a lot about this. I'm thankful for the first job I got out of college because I was a management consultant, which means you, Sunday night you get a phone call and you're going to Detroit or Dallas or London, and you're gonna be a telecommunications expert. You put on your business suit, you get on the plane, and you study so you have at least some foundation to sure. ask smart questions, and they own you Monday wow. through Friday. You go, you live at your client site, you work late, and you come home on the weekends. So my first job was very all-intensive work, and then you're off, mm. and then all-intensive work, and then you're off. Now, I met my husband three weeks before I started that job, and I oh. went, oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, so very quickly, I, after two years of that, I said, I want more work-life balance. Mm -hmm. I don't want to live my job, but I'm a worker. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 all of us are, right? In high tech, I was in speech recognition software. I, I don't know how to not work hard. Right. But I did figure out that I need to turn off because that's actually when my creative juices kick mm -hmm. in. And so I think one of the things that I now, when I talk to women that I mentor, um, and really anybody who asks me, uh, every single job I've taken, every manager, a hiring manager, I look at them, even when from my first VP job, I said, okay, I have work-life balance, and as a rule, I'm home for dinner every night with my kids. Now, I travel a lot, and I will um, you know, be out at dinners and, and all the things that you need to do, but as a rule, I'm not just going to hang around the office till 7, 8 o'clock at night to bump into some execs and have conversations. Right. right. And Which that's is a totally a part of it. Yeah. That it, it. I didn't know that was a part of it. That's until, the culture. But it really is. It's a really great point. And well, it's one of those things where you're ashamed if you don't, you know, first one in, last one out. Yeah. That's indicative of a good work ethic. But I think as women, especially when you're the 
you know, the breadwinner and you have a child and a husband at home, that's not, it's not possible. I always want to know, see, I don't, I, we, we talk about this a lot. I don't have kids. I'm not married. So I'm always fascinated because whenever, I think when you're an ambitious person in general, especially woman, it's hard to shut that off. It's hard to feel like I've done enough today and I'm going to give myself a break uh-huh. and <laughs> relax. So I think about that where I just need to shut off for myself. But I'm like, no, 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 I don't have a kid. I don't have a husband. I can keep going. And I wonder about all of the women that I network with that are doing exactly what I'm doing, working as many hours, if not more, that I'm working, and they have a kid, they have a mm-hmm. husband. How, how do you shut it off when you get home? I'm asking both of you because I'm really I'm like curious. so protective of you as you say that because <laughs> – I just, I, I, and we've kind of alluded to this before. A, this is like a mutual appreciation platform because we fall in love with our guests and are in love with each other and are very grateful <laughs> for all of the smart people here. But something I, I'm sensitive to, Jackie, is that I think I, we're so obviously, to your point, we're from different perspectives, but there's this part of me that feels especially protective of your shame in that moment or your self consciousness, which is like, well, should I be working more because I don't have that? Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, because I don't have that, should they be respected more? It's right. the same way that, like... Or oh, how can I feel bad... Sorry to interrupt No, no, you. please. How can I feel bad for myself when other people have so much more going on? If I we learned that's anything that's really what for, that is. Yeah, and we learned that from Jenny, right? Yes. Like, on our second episode about grief is that when it's not directly related to you, you know, and you're feeling exhausted or overwhelmed by it, and then you have shame for feeling that. I think, I don't know, being protective of you as a sister and friend, I I hear your point. And my answer to you is that I do get that I, I have a further appreciation for the complications of motherhood, marriage, the dy- the power dynamics of ha- being the breadwinner and having an artist or a partner. I mean, Christy and I have some similarities in that regard. But to answer your question from my perspective, I think it's all relative and I think you you have just as many different challenges that I don't have and I don't think we should hierarchicalize like motherhood and children as like that's the way like when bosses say they like make you work later because I have to go home to my kid or something like I I and that's very gendered too but we're talking about two women. I just I want you to know like you and I both were up at, a, like, 11 emailing last yeah. night, which is, like, maybe not the best decision life-wise. But. Well, everybody has their own situation, regardless of if you're in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s, if you're married, if you're single, if you've got kids or not. When I learned about the just the concept of how much... Uh, I worked. Americans work. I was studying abroad in Spain. And... I, a friend of mine commented, he said, oh, you're American. You Americans, you live to work. Here mm-hmm. we work to live. And I thought, wow, nobody's yeah. ever said that to me before. <laughs> and so when I started thinking about that, it was like, so I'm going to work really hard. But, you know, I've been in a creative field most of my life. And my husband always laughs because I will be... And I'll come home and we'll have dinner and we'll put the boys to bed and the the band comes and they rehearse in our house um, because we didn't have family nearby. So Mm. 
we had to, we would have the dinner parties, we would have the New Year's Eve parties, we would have uh, people, the band come to our house so Jeff could make dinner and I could put the boys to bed. And now there's like drums and a live band, like <laughs> while the kids are falling asleep, they can fall asleep to anything. I was going to say, you have some really cool kids. Highly right? recommend that. That's amazing. But I will be sitting there on the couch, I'll have my laptop, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'll have a cocktail in my hand, I'll go, oh, oh. And I start dictating stuff to myself. And that is when I have these like breakthroughs, when I'm separated from work and there's this creative environment and my brain has time to, to think. And I think that's what, you know, this concept of you need to be in the office, you need to be visible, visible and you need to push yourself. Um, that's not necessarily how people do their best work right. and how they get inspired. Um, and having the confidence to acknowledge that and having the confidence to look somebody in the eye and say I'm going to be the best employee you've ever had but this is these are my ground rules right but I have to be home for dinner when I had that yeah. interview I said can I be a VP and have dinner with my kids every night mm. and how was the reception to that uh, my Great head question. of HR was amazing she said we need more people like you wow to show that work-life balance to wow. show that you can do it which is was a great response but it was also seriously heavy i mean that's a lot to put on your shoulders i'm the only female vp and to really stand up for myself in that way and you know the first few months i felt it you know mm -hmm. i i couldn't help not feeling that right um but it, it does make it does matter um but but that courage of conviction, mm. that ability to just say, I'm fabulous and I'm going to be fabulous for you, right. and, but I need off time and I, this is what I need. Mm. It's like how they tell you to negotiate no matter what, even if you get an offer that's like way beyond what you thought it was going to be. And when you're looking for a new job, I always remember mentors of mine, a, a co-friend of ours, Dan, mm -hmm. um, has, you know, like being, it's important to negotiate and, and to, that sends the message that you're willing to advocate for yourself because you know your worth, which I think is, is a, a rare and or not sort of practiced thing. I also was listening to a podcast on the way in. It was funny. It was related to this topic. It's a podcast that I think has now transformed into something called Zigzag. It's another podcast, but it, their original one was Note to Self, and I'll give them a shout out because it's really great. But the episode was about how people uh, in uh, in scenarios as it relates to power dynamics with couples, um, whether there's two incomes, one income, uh, one bonus income, and one major, whatever, um, the, the framework. Uh, Anne-Marie Slaughter is a pretty impressive advocate for sort of think, rethinking the nuclear family and understanding that. But her husband was interviewed. He's a professor um, at Oxford, um, and he was saying that is it, the host asked, is it dangerous for us to say, you know, um, we should, we should, we sh are we enabling our partners when we say, 
I know you're the you're the at home dad or you're the lead parent at home right now, and here. But I I know that you're only capable in my mind. I know you're only capable of X, and so mm-hmm. I'm gonna infantilize you and enable you to be a man baby and say here's like here's some instructions on how to get to the level of performance I'm expecting, and then that affects sexual dynamics. It affects you know, you, you become the mother or the caretaker versus the partner. And they were talking about how it affects confidence or, and she said, is that emasculating? And when someone said, and he goes, no, he's like, actually, I think that's a dangerous assessment because, and I was like, really? Cause I would have said that would be like, maybe that was, and what his point was is that the, the presupposition we have as some, by saying something's emasculating is suggesting that by being the caregiver, he's being inherently feminine. And so, in fact, what you're doing is saying it's – and he used the analogy that if a woman was at work and her male boss was like, so I know that you're smart, but I re- here are the things that I want you to remember to do. And, like, just because I know that you're overwhelmed and, like, have a – and then I would actually burst into flames. And, you know, like, you know what I mean? And it was a great example. I was like, oh, yeah, like, I guess I think I'm helping my – and this is something we talked about in couples therapy because, you know, when you discover you have depressions or depression or anxieties of some sort, you realize that even though you're doing it out of love, like, I'm like, oh, babe, like, I want to make sure you know that – just because I'm making the bread, like you're doing great too. When in reality, that means I'm prioritizing making money as a as something that a value system is more than what they're doing, which is tending to coordinating our entire life. Um, and I still do a lot of that too. But I just think it was a really, for me, I found the podcast elucidating because I was like, wait a minute, like, oh, I thought I was helping, mm. but you're actually perpetuating a mm. standard of like, you guys, you guys don't, we're, women are inherently caregivers. You guys don't have what we have, the magic inside. But the reality is, no, we all have that magic or not magic or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's equal no matter what gender you are. I, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, I, that resonates with me completely. I mean, I can spend a long time talking about the, um, just the crazy ways we've been treated in our roles. Um, But Jeff is just fundamentally better at consistent routine oriented tasks. Like he has worked with young kids. He talked, he read this book once that, you know, he's an in the moment action oriented person, you know, long-term plans eh, not so much, but that day to day of like, okay, somebody just broke their arm and we've got to go to the hospital and deal with this. I lose my mind. I completely (laughs) melt down and I'm not able to deal with that situation. And he is like cool, calm and collected. And um, he's just got better skills for the job that he has. He loves to cook and he made food with the boys and had the time to do it and made it an activity, the shopping, the preparing, the heating up, the working through it. it. He knows how to make his job instructive and fun, mm-hmm. um, nourishing, right? All of these things, whereas I get hungry and in five minutes, like I need to boil some pasta or make a hard boiled egg and that's it. Like I have no time to think, plan right. on, I'm going to be hungry three hours from now, so let's make this a whole process. I'm like, no, I'm hungry now. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> um, but 
when we lived in Salem and Salem, Massachusetts for listeners. Salem, Massachusetts. We learned that because we, we were doing that where we were talking about cities that like could be anywhere. Love Salem, <laughs> yeah, Massachusetts. We're based in Boston. <laughs> but our first house in Salem, Massachusetts, uh, raised our kids there and um, fabulous community, fabulous neighbors. And we would meet people and they'd say, oh, you're a stay-at-home dad. You've got to meet this guy. He's also a stay-at-home dad. And they get connected. Well, that guy's a stay-at-home dad because he lost his job mm. and his wife had one, so he had to stay home. And it was not by choice. And he was kind of angry and negative and resentful. And my husband was like, I don't want to hang out with that guy. It's like he doesn't want to be doing what we're doing. And it was interesting to see there was a very small community of stay-at-home dads very small and we're in a progressive area where we thought that you know this would be yes we're not the norm but i thought it wouldn't be so odd yeah and we've been interviewed by he, he was actually interviewed by some uh, students at dartmouth and um had this whole they called them back they're like can we ask you some more questions because you guys have such a you're so comfortable in this you're dynamic. such a unicorn <laughs> yeah it was yeah. very funny but it's it's hard to find folks that relate that's why molly when we sat down and talked i'm like oh my gosh we have so so I many like, your husband is a musician that's amazing my husband makes furniture for a living <laughs> and is amazing too yeah but it was and, and also there's this other thing that I have sometimes I have resentment for my husband's career, which is why part of the reason this podcast is so fulfilling for me in that it's the first time in a while where I felt like I've been using my Molly creativity, like my perspective and my, I mean, I do, I went on my own four years ago and I was able to, to sort of cherry pick the elements of you know, marketing and brand strategy that I, social media content development that I liked um, and that I that I liked and also that I, some that I was good at and some that I wanted to be good at. And that was like a fun way for me to curate my professional environment. That said, I, you know, am working with clients predominantly that I love and I resonate with, but that's, I have to look for those to make sense for me. And so sometimes, you know, to pay bills, you bring on folks that never are conflicting with my ideals, but perhaps aren't the things that make my heart skip a beat. Mm-hmm. And some, and so even though I'm better than where I was in my corporate world, I'm, I'm, I still struggle with a job's a job. It's like when you take art and you can, that's why, you know, our husbands probably have a challenge in opposite way, which is, you know, Dan was always an artist first and then a business person second. And so making that transition has been challenging because it, almost takes the like sex appeal out of creativity it's like oh now I have to invoice Mm -hmm. someone right and you know it sounds so silly but it's true and it's a new way of thinking so for me now doing I get jealous sometimes about what Dan does and that's not to say Dan's just like creating and like all the time not doing anything (laughs) you know he's doing a ton of stuff for us as a as a family unit but I I do love there's just an aspect of his artistry that, A, I'm not, that's not who I am. But there's a, my version of that is like social justice and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. communications and talking about things where I feel like I can be my whole self. And that's why I think that's a symptom of why this came about. When Jackie and I met, we were like, this we have to put, get this off the ground. So that's mm. brilliant. And I love the fact that you acknowledge that. Like, I, I people ask me that too. Like, are you jealous of you know, you have to get up and go. And 
The only couple times I have been is when I was struggling, when I was unhappy in my job. Yeah, mm, totally. That sounds right. Like and you I were burning out. I was. Yeah. I, I was just unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and I felt trapped mm. that I have to... I can't just take some time off and figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Right. At, it's you know, on 32. You. Yeah. It was, I felt that weight mm-hmm. of responsibility. Um, but I've only felt that in those rare moments, I've been lucky to have find fulfillment in my mm-hmm. career more of the time than not. Um, but that is when that came out. Totally. And it wasn't really, it, I wasn't, yeah, it was just, um, I wanted a break, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like I had an opportunity to take a break, and that's a lot of responsibility. And then right. you throw in kids, like there, there's no more vacation. Right. There's, there's no more no sleeping break. in. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you two are unique in the sense that you both intentionally became the breadwinners. So I would look at it in that sense that you have a little bit of a leg up. No, no, not a leg up. I shouldn't say an advantage as far as your relationships go because you entered into that understanding together. Intentionally, you didn't. No, but I'm curious about that too because I feel like the um, yeah, I hear about you know, we talk about female insecurities all the time. A lot of the time, we don't talk about male insecurities, Mm -hmm. but just as someone who's fascinated by people in general, I've looked them up and looked up different studies. Ironically enough, I've found out that the number one is balding. (laughs) But two, sexual performance, and three is an ability to provide financially. Interesting. So I'm curious how that, and we don't, you don't number have to get too into Number one is balding. That number I could two be wrong. Is, that's I so interesting. No, I state facts I think if you say it again with confidence, it's fact. That's yeah. how it works. Well, anything I say, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but we could, I mean, we could look it up. But generally, those are the top three. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious of how that translates into relationships where you are the breadwinner and how you kind of maybe take on that anxiety or that insecurity that typically is the male's role but also you probably have so many other stressors on top of that so it's this weird so push and pull so yeah. you guys didn't enter into your relationship no. i mean that would give the illusion that we plan anything i feel like um, <laughs> and we no, don't have to get into your no, finances oh let's talk about our fine no i didn't think that's what you were asking okay. i think you were asking like about uh the dynamics of of how are you were going to pay bills and how are you yeah. going to take care of a family i mean dan and i always the things we did plan on we always wanted to have kids that was a plan at the time i wanted to have a lot of kids and then i had a kid and realized i'm not sure no um no i love um the idea of that but you know it's we're in the when you live it it's obviously at the time it was like your first and second date like are you eventually gonna make a human yeah maybe okay and then you move forward but like that was all it was so that was part of our planning or at least our discussion about the future we envisioned but in terms of but I I went to undergrad at liberal arts college and I was an English and Spanish double major. I too studied in Spain in Cordoba. Oh, in Madrid. And yeah, it was um, a wonderful experience for me where I, I've talked about it previously, but I, so I, those were my double majors, but I concentrated in film theory, cultural mm-hmm. studies. And so when I was graduating, like the naive middle-class white girl I was, which I was less naive by the end of my liberal arts career, but, um, I thought I was going to be a film professor. Like I thought I was going to, in a perfect world, be a film professor in Spanish. And, you know, and I was really thinking I was going to try to fuse. And maybe that was defiantly trying to prove 
a little bit my dad wrong when I told him I was an English major. And he was like, so what are you going to do with that? I was like, see, look, look, I found a thing that does all three, you know, whatever. Anyhow, and then I, the way I got my career started, and this might be boring, so forgive me, but basically the fast version is that I was waitressing and I was studying to take the GREs and I was, yeah, and I was... Um, that's how I met my husband, which is on episode another episode, well, type, <laughs> subject. And then um, I uh, got this temp job at Keurig, the coffee company. And I was this is not, I was a temp receptionist there. Um, and Nancy, who I believe has retired, was an amazing woman. And I worked. She had take. She was like leaning towards retirement and taking time off. So I was there a lot. And of course, I'm connected with the recruiter there because I'm at the front door navigating candidates coming in. And so the recruiter and I became friends and I wasn't being strategic. Like I didn't know that by talking and showing her my capabilities and talking about my education and background that I was essentially over a few months interviewing and she recruited me to lead their communications because it was Keurig at the time it was skyrocketing and they didn't, there was all battened down the hatches and folks need to, and it wasn't, Oh, <laughs> and they weren't like, come on in and lead our communications. It was, they had no one doing it. And I ended up becoming a one woman team for PR. And that's, you know, and gear communications, shout out to my extension. I hired an amazing agency led by two women, Connie Swave and Jen Gear. And I mean, I, I got this big job and from the outside, it looked like I had been recruited for it, but I really kind of ended up there. And it, that was, I think in... And this is not like right place, right time, just lucky. Those things were real for me in some ways. But yes, I rose to the occasion and excelled. But in terms of our dynamics, and then Dan and I moved in together and, you know, got a dog and knew we were going to get married at some point and then got engaged and so forth. And so, and then I was, my issue was that I was, because it was unplanned and that because I was successful, I was caught up in the hamster wheel of Mm -hmm. chasing a carrot I didn't want, Mm. which is when I met our mutual friend, Dan Faulkner, who like helped me sort of think about work as an intellectual exercise, not just, Mm -hmm. and you know, a way to make money. And I, because Dan was a woodworker and he was just launching his business, I felt this pressure to be the breadwinner. So I was like, I got to make the money because I need to make sure Dan can be his true self. And this is clearly I'm good at this. So I'm supposed to be here. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Because I was working 90 hours a week. (laughs) I was managing teams around the globe and I was 28 and and I was, it it wasn't, it was unhealthy to be honest. And I... It, you felt guilty about resenting that because I'm 28 or 27 and I have this job where I'm feel like I'm I'm being successful in the in the traditional way mm-hmm. and allowing Dan to have and Dan was the one who sat me down and was like you know we don't we don't have to make that much money to be happy and I was like wait what and so <laughs> that me, is everything yes. and it was amazing everything. and Dan it was is. like Molly you you're good at this but you don't like this like you don't like you want to do the content piece you want to be a writer you want to go back to the things that make you happy you want to be with people um you know I it's say that thing I'm not right supposed there. to say yeah it is he's my best friend and he was like Molly so I, he was like why don't you go out on your own like you you have this network of people and I was like you kind of have to check your ego at the door and I just said 
for my own health, and this was pre-baby, you know, like we weren't like doing this so we could have a baby. Maybe Dan was. Maybe it was strategic. <laughs> I wasn't. I was like, a little, little sneaker. No, but um, I, um, for me, I think, I don't know. I, I'm grateful for the trajectory that I had, and I'm not discounting how hard I worked. But in some ways, I sort of fell into some of that direction and right. met some insect- exceptional people, some sexual people. Some sexual I met people. some sexual people. No, <laughs> some exceptional people. Yeah. Right. You guys go. didn't even know. No. no. I was going to go back to the financial <laughs> <laughs> right. No, exceptional <laughs> people that I felt were, well, frankly, that took a risk on me and really mentored me and encouraged me to move forward. And so I feel grateful for that, but... To, I mean, it's interesting that you have that had that perception because of our you know shared current mm-hmm. right. situation. But yeah, I would. In the end, I, I guess I didn't plan it. Well, let me rephrase before we move on to your perspective, Christy, because I. It sounds like Dan just really supports you, he ultimately, totally does. and supports your family and is looking out for the best interests of your yeah. family. So I think that's. That's the most important takeaway. It's not that you went into it intentionally, but you have a husband who's so confident in who he is and passionate about supporting his wife that he's he's seeing that, you know, that's a good opportunity for you both. Going back to your top three, right? Mm. So uh, do men feel emasculated if they aren't contributing financially? And I think that's a really interesting question. Jeff and I moved in together after a year and lived together for five years before we got married. And when we moved to Boston and we're kind of getting ourselves organized and um, we knew that we were gonna get married eventually, we went to a financial advisor. We never did couples therapy. We had a financial advisor and we always talk about that we needed a financial therapist because, excuse me, because we had such different perspectives, experiences, contributions. And I said, I don't, I can't manage like the finances for a household. I need somebody that we can just ante in and say, here, yeah, what do we do with this? And how do we set ourselves up for buying our first home in a few years? And every, and after our first meeting with our uh, financial advisor, he took me aside afterward and said, are you sure you're comfortable having these conversations you guys aren't married and I said I'm 100% comfortable we will be married and so that was interesting it was Mm. like you know when you go to the doctor and they take you aside like is everything okay at home right they just kind of like what lets me talk to you without taking advantage of you sounds like that was the implication it it was just are you sure you're comfortable interesting disclosing all this information um and yes I was I, I never had an issue with that at all um and you know my mother even when we were gonna get married she said I'm just the one thing I'm worried about is he won't be able to take care of you financially I was like that's not what I'm looking for right mm-hmm. I can take I can care take of care of myself yeah <laughs> that's not anywhere on my criteria for a life partner right and uh, good for you yeah seriously because it is stressful like I would argue that even if you're prepared and capable and confident enough to know that that's something you're able to achieve I, there are times, especially in self-employment world, where I'm like, okay, if I die, you know, like, and, you know, I, that sounds morbid, um, but it's something that, unfortunately, insurance providers are reminding me a lot, yeah. which is, um, <laughs> which Sorry. is Jackie. No, Sorry. Jackie. We don't do, a, no. <laughs> no, we she refer doesn't. out life insurance at Phil Richard Insurance. You're <laughs> wonderful advocates for the community. It's Thank important you. stuff. But I do think that 
it's something I didn't think about. And it's a weird thing for someone to say and talk about self-confidence. Dan, when we were, you know, when you're filling out forms, it's like, I mean, I could wax poetic about how amazing my husband is, but at the end of the day, if he doesn't feel it on his own, right. you know, that's a big part of of identity crises and depression and so forth. Like, I can tell him he's wonderful, and then maybe I'm doing the equivalent of that. Here's the notes on how to be, mm-hmm. and, and, and in turn enabling him to feel you know, disenfranchised or whatever. But I feel like for, for, I don't know, generally there's a, there's a sense that we're, we're meant to, to talk about, I don't know. I've, I, we're meant, to, if you're the breadwinner, you, you just assume that you're the breadwinner and then there's someone, not you, but one assumes that the at home person is like in your case, like in both of our cases, my husband's like a really great cook and, but I cook all the time and, you know, I've joke that I'm English and Irish and I've, I've learned it, not, I didn't have it <laughs> naturally. <laughs> Dan can like wing it. I'm like, recipe. Um, but any, <laughs> but um, I'm getting better, getting better. But anyhow, point is, is that I would say the only part of our lives where it's like, it, you know, versus is that I happen to make more money and he happens to not. But it's never that I've, like, I just feel like I'm very open with him where I'm like, and, and you know, there's basic things like I'm really good at organizing and following up and making sure bills are paid and so mm-hmm. forth. And so Dan's aware of that stuff, but I manage that. And then Dan is really great at, oh, is there a squirrel in the attic? Is there a hole in the wall? Is there, you know, like Dan takes care of that. And no, I know that I could take care of those things, but I don't want to. And I'm not going to, or vice versa. Dan doesn't want to look at our city card and figure out what the, when, when things are due, that stresses him out. And so there's a little bit of like, you figure out what works for you, but it's also a constant reevaluation because sometimes when you slip into those roles, like I have to say to Dan, Hey, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I know that you think I'm just tapping at this this machine over here and like not doing. Sometimes I feel like I'm like I'm making this up. I'm not doing work. Like you just, I'm pretending I'm typing an email, but my battery's dead or whatever. And I'm like I'm. I know you don't see me physically in meetings and talking to people, whatever, but I'm doing so much via this little computer here, mm-hmm. and my brain is code switching all day. Yeah. And sometimes. That means I'm mush at the end of it. And mm-hmm. he's always been really great about taking that feedback and me saying, I can't, it's too much. I need you to do whatever. And that, I think, for us has been both a, a great uh, dynamic, fortunate sort mm-hmm. of, um, oh, it, it's always up for evaluation, but it's also... You know, I just think being a breadwinner, it doesn't mean you're inherently supported in everything else. Like, I'm still doing a lot oh, of yeah. not... Oh, quote unquote, bringing home the bacon. Like I'm just, you know, like, and so is he. So it, for us at least. Well, and one thing that I think is important to think about is where do you get fulfillment? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my husband gets so much fulfillment feeding us good, healthy, homemade food. Like it, it brings him such joy. And when I come home and see my you ten year old like learning how to chop things just so and I'm seeing that same kind of (laughs) interest and fulfillment. Oh my god, it's adorable. (laughs) And you know, this I I have two boys and they're eighteen months apart and to be raised by a man Mm. is wonderful. Jeff always said, you know, when he saw 
the joys of labor and delivery and motherhood and all of that in those early weeks and months. He's like, you know, there's just a fundamental connection between the mother and the mm. child. Mm -hmm. And he's like, the father has to work at that. Mm. Now that could be debated left, right, and center, sure. but that was his experience. And so he felt like it was actually creating a stronger family unit to have the father there every day okay. and be that, um, be that person that's there when you scrape your knee because when mommy comes home, the boys just want mommy, right? They, mm -hmm. they, that's where they go. But the other day, we were talking about a variety of things and what our kids want to do when they grow up. And my 10-year-old said, I think I might want to be a stay-at-home dad. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's the sweetest thing I've ever heard in my that's life. That's amazing. But also, but I think your husband is pretty progressive in yeah. that yes. mind. I mean, that's very impressive for him to understand not only, because by the way, I, I have a son who's only two and he is very mom driven and it's my favorite thing. But at the same time, at the beginning, especially, I remember when we were trying to figure out breastfeeding and pumping and you're, you're like not oh, sleeping not and you think favorite. for some reason it's smart to like put a tube through your nipple cover to get whatever and your husband's you're like diffusing a bomb and then someone's like do you know formula exists <laughs> um but like that time where you're so like you think you're supposed to be doing something and it it's just crazy to look back at that time and think I was actually alive and surviving and or keeping a human alive but there was a time where Dan said to me he felt bad because no matter how much he helped, he couldn't do it for me. Correct. Mm -hmm. And he said that in delivery, and he said that in, you know, the post sort of newborn stage when I was trying to breastfeed, and like, or times now, like every night when Lou wants to go to bed, um, he wants to sit on mom or sit with mom, which I adore, of course, but it's not because Dan's, Dan's not, Dan's always with him, just, Dan's with him just as much as I am. Like, because he works from home as well, and we both have a system and drop off. And mm -hmm. But every night from 4 to 7, like, the three of us, like, do things together. It's not just, like, me taking care while Dan's finishing up work. There's times where that happens for both of us, but most of the time we're present. That I feel like they're – that seeing that as you're – seeing that as a child and mirroring that behavior is so important psychologically. Yeah. Not just – Oh, I know dads can be da stay at home dads and moms can be whatever. Um, but that he, because we talk, I, my therapist was saying something about you, whether it's overt or malicious, it doesn't matter. Like you're what a man sees in his father growing up, whether it's your dad was a really great guy, but he didn't do the emotions thing. Like he didn't like check in how like you were doing. And even though you're that person now, like I would argue my, you know, husband is very emotional and connected and understands how I'm feeling. He still has tendencies to emulate who I love, my father-in-law. But uh, what my father-in-law knew was the way to handle emotions, which was like, we just don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And like, are you good? I'm good. All right, moving on. And whereas my family was like, let's talk about the origins of women's brains. <laughs> um, and so I think your kids seeing that in your husband is exceptionally, I, I don't think it's exceptionally rare. I think it's just exceptional yep. because it's, it's, I mean, that's just beautiful. Like, and on a larger societal level, I think that you guys are redefining, 
you ladies. Ooh, We're good. mindful of that. I've been doing that mm-hmm. a lot. I say oh, yeah, guys yeah. kind of jokingly because I think I'm Steve Martin. Yeah. And um, that's <laughs> <laughs> true. true. Another <laughs> habit I'm trying to break. It's all good. You ladies are on a much larger level breaking down and redefining gender roles and stereotypes, which is huge. So now both of your sons are going to see their relationship with their dad where they're much more involved and they're much more empowered to be sensitive, to be compassionate, to be understanding, to be empathetic towards women, men, everyone, and not to put us in boxes because they did not grow up that way. So I think it's beautiful and it's going to translate into a, you know, a larger progressive mindset of kids of their generation, you know, because you're leading by example. The more people see you doing it and you making it work, the less men are going to feel threatened by it. The less exceptional it is. Well, yes, but also the more <laughs> exceptional it is because now we're sure. changing how society mm-hmm. functions, which is what's needed to happen for a really long time. So I feel like you're pioneers in a way where you're, you're figuring it out. There's no formula to, you know, kind of the woman being the quote unquote breadwinner, but it seems like you're you're setting a really good example. You know, that's actually really true. That resonates with me. There is no I have not had a mentor or an example to show me how to do this life mm-hmm. and these roles. And no, um, but I am having conversations with younger women all the time about this. So I don't know if it's just more accessible or are, life is unfolding that way um but i'm a huge advocate as people are getting you know establishing their lives and thinking about starting families of if you can afford it have a stay-at-home parent Mm -hmm. because when we talk about work-life balance and like the day-to-day and the nine to five or the 90 hours a week Mm -hmm. or whatever we actually work um when you have that stay-at-home parent when i get home at night or if we're home on the weekends we don't have to do laundry and errands and all the shopping and like we don't have that stress of the house and those things because that's taken care of throughout the day and weeks and month so that when we're together it it is more quality family so we have more downtime i think than the average that's interesting i would ask your advice then because (laughs) you're describing what i i hope to get to like i think with us there's still a level of and they were talking, maybe on that same podcast I was referencing earlier, but they were talking about resent, like I mentioned resentment, but um, how one, it was a New York Times reporter saying, do people do this because my husband and I do this? And I was like, I do this, which is you don't mean to, but you kind of keep track of the things you do for your, like, um, you know, oh, did you go for a run? Oh, no, 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 I'm not upset. I mean, that's great that you went for a run, but I, you know, um, Louie and I have been, uh, playing uh, building blocks. So it would be great if I could have some time for me, yeah, whatever. I would like to argue I don't sound like such a bitch at home. But um, <laughs> but I do, I mean, like that moment of, of tallying whether you're actually tallying or not in your head, because the truth is you maybe want just as equally to be with your kids as you want to do what you're doing professionally. You know, for me, like I get excited about doing a lot of my work. I'm an ambitious human. I'm driven. I've got you know, 
goals and dreams and so forth. And sometimes I've, and I've shared this, that I feel shameful for that because I'm like, should I, like sometimes I know my kids at daycare all day and then I have them for three hours, but sometimes I just like want him to just like go to sleep so I can do that thing. And it's not, oh, I don't want to be with my son or, oh, I want to, you know, inoculate him so that I can get some shit done. It's just like, that just seems like a human quality. Sometimes it's like, yes, I know I'm when I'm away from my kids, I'm like, I want to be with my kid. I just also want to read that article I thought was really interesting, you know? And I, with my, I don't know, I'm trying to work on the scenario you painted for me is, you know, right now, I think we could do a better job at, you know, maybe, you know, and we, Dan and I've had this discussion and, you know, we try to revisit it on the regular, but, you know, having him now that I'm started working on my own and it's become my own thing and it's working, mm-hmm. um, it's a little bit easier to make that decision now versus at the beginning where it was like, what are we going to do? You know, mm-hmm. um, now I could say, okay, what you're doing, it's hard to not make him feel like, by asking him to be the lead parent, am I suggesting that what he does for a living mm. isn't as important? Mm. And then it does it take away his ability to do whatever, like to do just that tallying as toxic as it is. It's also based in reciprocity. Like it's meant to be fair. Yeah, right. Like the intention is to be like, we both deserve to do things we love. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I just, I, you described that scenario and I was just like salivating. I was like, that sounds so clean and not messy. Mine sounds messy. <laughs> I was just laughing to myself because when you describe wanting to read the article and just relax, I was thinking, I can relate, but with my cat. <laughs> Stop playing with me, cat. <laughs> like, I love you, but anyway. It's the I same digress. thing. It's the same. Well, you also it have is. a two-year-old. Yeah. Right? right? Life is difficult yeah when you that's have true. young kids and you are tired <laughs> yeah. and you don't have time and you get snippy and you need to breathe and you need to have quiet self-reflection time uh, for me it's kayaking like I go out and I get in my kayak and I feel like I am just in the middle of I just fresh air and it's calming and that is where I go and I feel guilty of course you do I'm making a decision to to have me time. Mm-hmm. Now I get up crazy early and I try to do it before, you know, everybody's really functioning in the house. So I try to find times where it's not like I'm stealing time away from my family. Mm-hmm. So I still I have struggle that. with it. But the I I have seen that kind of tit for tat and that tallying and like I did this and you know you need to open the mail tomorrow and um, and that gets really dangerous. It's toxic. That that yeah that accumulates over time mm-hmm. and I think you know you made a good comment just in terms of how do you reciprocity and not the I need this but what do you need mm-hmm. and being paying attention and being mindful of what your partner needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but also being able to speak up and say, I'm kind of losing my mind right now and I need to be Mm -hmm. away from the world um, or I just need, you know, a a spa day, which is, like, amazing. (laughs) (laughs) What is the spa day you speak of? No, no, I know what you mean. And my, I know I'm, like, talking about my therapist so much. She's amazing. (laughs) But I would say that the idea of everybody has a different way, sort of related to what you're saying, but a little different of recharging and I for me it was a breakthrough to realize that like when I go into a a party (laughs) Mm -hmm. and there's interesting people I'm like 
I love it. Let's do this. And I get excited and I learn from people and I laugh and I enjoy it. And I come out of there and I call Dan and I'm like, just had the fun, like the best time. I learned so much. These people are so cool. And Dan's like, that's awesome. But that is Dan's hell on earth. Like he would, he would rather like the idea of going to a party with people he doesn't know is super stressful for him. And yeah, he'd go and have a really good time, and he'd talk to people, and he'd be everyone would be like, he's so cool and relaxed, and I'd be like, ah. no. But he, um, but he, you know, the, the takeaway there would he'd be exhausted after that. Like that's not how he recharges. Like I recharge by like learning and connecting with people. He recharges by being in nature and like by being on his own and being allowed to sort of create uninterrupted. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that is a hard thing when you have a kid because it's like, he's like, well, how do I be creative if I'm like every two seconds the monitor's going off or like whatever, you know? it's And so that is, um, it's a learning curve for us, both of us, in that we have to, and you know, they talk about, maybe you mentioned it an episode or so ago about your love language. Because oh, like yeah. everybody yeah, has yeah. a different love, it's yeah. sort of everybody has a different like recharge language. And mm-hmm. like we all, like for me, I like want to go to yoga and I want to feel connected, but I don't necessarily need to do it alone. Like I would do it with friends or I'd feel... And whereas he's more of someone that needs to feel like he's being creatively productive on his own and bonsaiing and, you know, going out (laughs) into our garden for a couple hours, being in the sunshine, going for a walk with the dogs, whatever. I mean, the walk with the dogs, I'd say, is mutually beneficial. But, you know, (laughs) the idea is that I had to realize, like, when I say, like, let's go out to dinner, like, let's go to dinner, Dan's like, okay, I, I'm doing this for you. Like, I'm not doing it because I want to go out. You know, like, mm. he would, if he had his druthers, just, like, stay at home with us, you know? I don't know what you guys think about that, but... <laughs> well, that's where it's good to push each other and be aware and also be aware when you need to, like, I'm not going to enjoy this, so why don't you just go ahead? Right. Um, you know, we drug our kids out every once when they were younger to see uh, Jeff's band, and we thought that would be awesome. It was not awesome for anybody. Like... Jeff had a hard time being on stage and seeing these little toddler boys. They didn't understand why they couldn't just run up and talk to daddy. And he he was so distracted. He like couldn't look at them. And it was, they for years, like (laughs) would disengage. They wouldn't look at him on stage and they would go off and play somewhere. And now it's starting to come around and it's better. But it was interesting to see Mm -hmm. how difficult it was for him to be at work Mm -hmm. with the kids and for them to adapt to him being at work. We haven't even touched upon the fact that why is the valuation of the fact that I'm in software and so I can be the breadwinner and pay for a house versus (sighs) an early education, early childhood education and musician like why are those so undervalued in our society? Uh, I mean, a that's whole, that you should come back for that another conversation. That's such a yeah. great point. It it's, really is, especially when you think about arts and create. And oh, I'm going off on a tangent. No, but think you, about this it. This is a passion of hers. Actually. It is. It's huge, and this is why I got um, connected with the Creative Collective. Shout out to them because I think what they're doing is so, so, so important. Realize acknowledging creative entrepreneurs and just creatives in general as professionals, as businesses, as people that build community. If you think about communities in general and why anyone wants to move to them, it's arts, it's culture, it's music, it's film, it's theater, it's food, it's not software, no offense. No, it's true. 
we, we value that in our yeah. society, but it's not valued. It's not reciprocated from a financial perspective. Right. Sure. And what are we really being rewarded for, too? And th- we're, now we're going off on a whole Right. I actually different... really want us to talk about this because I have a lot of thoughts on athleticism and uh, teaching and sort of the polarized way we treat, you know, spectacle and then also at the college level of sports totally exploit them. It's like, I mean, there's so many, uh, I want to go down that for <laughs> yeah. sure. Christy, this is what we do at the end yeah. <laughs> of the conversation. We tee it up and then we're like, you're coming back. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. But this happens every time because the conversation flows so well. And I feel like there's so much more to this topic in particular that we haven't even dived into, but I want to give you both a lot of credit. I think you're truly leading by example. I think the hardest thing is to be an ambitious woman, to be responsible, you know, regardless of how you ended up there to pay the bills. Also to find that balance of being a good mom and taking time for yourself, which I think it's so important. And I give you both so much credit because it's impossible to find a balance in life and it sounds like you've kind of figured out the right formula christy and it sounds like you and dan molly are really working hard towards, towards it. getting there which is huge we and i think it's cool to hear it from two different angles too and you're not like oh yeah we're perfect we figured it out you're like no we're still trying to figure it out which i think thank you gives hope to you know other people in the situation so i commend you both it out. thank you and it's totally day by day and communication and being self-aware and honest and um, respectful of your partner and what's going to work yesterday might not work tomorrow and you just got to pay attention to where you guys are Mm. and it sounds like confidence is really the underlying factor here feeling confident in your role as vice president as mom as wife as human Mm -hmm. as a woman and feeling like it's okay to advocate for yourself in spite of all these things. I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is that I see you two being so successful. I mean, you've you've climbed the ranks in these businesses and you say the doors opened and you took the opportunities, but we all know you worked your ass off to get there. <laughs> and Molly, you're building a business and you have a full deck of clients. That's amazing. Congratulations, by the way. That really is huge. But you're also setting boundaries for yourself. You're saying, nope, four to seven. I'm with my, my kid and my husband. That's, that's my valuable family time. You're, I'm home for dinner every night. I admire so much that in your job interview as the first female vice president that you had the I won't say balls. You had the, the ovaries. Guts. Yeah, the ovaries. <laughs> exactly. The ovaries to say that. And you still got the job. So what does that say? That tells other women that I should be advocating for myself. I can be successful and I can also find that balance. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for everyone here is that it's important to advocate for yourself no matter where you're at in life. I was just going to step back and just say to Molly and Jackie, I so appreciate this platform that you are establishing to talk. I love the concept of talking not about women, but with women Mm -hmm. and giving us this validating the the conversation and projecting it and sharing it and inviting others in um it when you talk about where you get your energy molly like this is energizing listening to you (laughs) and um being pumped up by you (laughs) being seen being Mm. seen um is phenomenal and keep it up 
Thank, thank you, you for so having me. <laughs> thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. I Every time we do an episode, I can't agree more. I'm re-energized and inspired by by Jackie as my partner and by you and by our guests. I just think it's a fun thing to discover that thing you always felt like was weird about you is actually something that makes you stronger and a better person and that you're you're not alone. So thank you for taking the time, Christy. Truly, we're so grateful. Yes, we are. Thank you. And uh, folks, please don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Um, you can also play it directly from our website if podcast apps scare you. Um, I know <laughs> Which that I found out they do scare for some a lot of generations. People. They do, and so <laughs> yeah. we're here for you. We're here. Um, <laughs> message us if you have any questions, and we'll um, post Christie's um, where you can find her on social medias and Improvada, and, and um, you can also connect with us directly on social at Riveting Broad across the board and we love to hear from you truly truly thank you guys thank Thank you. you bye